This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing in the gospel and growing in living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission. Welcome to the Saturate Podcast. My name is Brad Watson and Jared Pickney is here as well to talk today about common misconceptions about missional communities. So we're going to do five everyday myths that we hear about when it comes to missional communities. But first, Jared, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Doing well. I'm excited to join you on this uh, uh, missional community Mythbusters edition. Sorry. I love the Mythbusters. Yeah, man. Me too, brother. Catch me up on, on LA, man. Things going well there? Yeah. Los Angeles is great. I actually, I passed my driver's permit or driver's license test yesterday, which was really, really good. I waited until the very last day that my Oregon license was legal. And I went in, I waited two and a half hours and... It was just amazing to be at the DMV, actually. <laughs> I was like blown away by like, yeah, there's just a lot of people all the time and every kind of person. And it was uh, it was actually kind of one of those weird, inspiring moments where you're like, oh, yeah, God's put me here. Uh, and it's going to sound corny, but to be part of reaching the nations, uh, there's like an Arabic lady behind me, a Brazilian guy in front of me. There are people from all over the United States, all just trying to get their driver's license. And uh, it was kind of a really cool moment. Yeah. I saw that. I feel like I'm almost a real Californian. You sound like it. I'm just, you know, chilling out, Max, and relaxing all cool. I can sense it in your voice. You're so <laughs> chill than you were when you were in Oregon. <laughs> so much more chill. Or maybe more high strung now. Are you hanging out with Taylor Swift right now or sitting on a beach? Anything like that? Yeah, you know, Tay Tay and I hung out about two weeks ago. Tay Tay, but uh, no, I am. I'm really close to an ocean, the Pacific one, and I get to see it almost daily, which is pretty great. And I, I didn't want to say this before because it's going to make you feel bad, maybe. But yesterday was my birthday. Oh man, happy birthday! Mine is Sunday. Yours is Sunday. Wow. Dude, March birthdays. Yeah, so you be a better friend and tell me how much you love me on my birthday. I will. I'll, I'll call you at like 10 a.m. your time on Sunday and, and just chat it up with you. <laughs> and uh, Happy belated birthday, Brad. No problem. Oh, or thank you. <laughs> I never know how to respond. <laughs> <laughs> no, no problem no. for being bored. <laughs> anyway, for my birthday, I got a surfing lesson. So I get to go surfing sometime soon. And then I'll be a real Californian. Good for you, man. Good for you. So to jump into these five uh, missional community myths or common misconceptions, uh, just to sort of set the table, uh, this is just a fact of life. So sometimes people get real upset about misunderstandings. But the reality is when you have people talking, people listening, crucial things get misunderstood all the time. So unspoken expectations or burdens are unintentionally shared or not shared between two communicating forces. I learned that in my communication theory class in college. And the myths that we're about to unpack, no one's ever written a book or done a training where they've intentionally tried to lead people to these misunderstandings or these myths or these untruths. Yet 
these five we think are pretty prevalent and might even kind of keep us from following faithfully uh, what we're called to do. And so some of them have to do with how we've taught things maybe in the past, or some of them have to do with how we listen uh, when we hear stuff. But regardless, these are five things that I think are worth clearing up. Are you uh, ready for that, Jaren? Man, I'm so ready to clear it up. I'm ready to bust some myths. <laughs> bust some myths. Uh, let's put on our lab coats and we'll jump right in. Myth number one, you can't study the Bible in missional communities. I hear this myth regularly as I coach uh, missional community leaders and we brainstorm next steps on what they could do. I was actually once in a meeting with a leader who was wanting to remind his community of the essentials of the gospel and their identity in Christ and God's mission to make things new, even when they were suffering. And he was considering several you know, curriculums, guides, primers, things like that. But his group had already gone through several of those. I gently shared this idea. Why don't you just take several weeks and study the book of First Peter? You know, you could read a section at a time and ask one another key questions about what it says about who God is, the gospel, the church, following Jesus, suffering, all of that. And then you can kind of just point people to the scriptures as a source, and that'll be your primer instead of doing a whole new curriculum thing on gospel identity and mission. And when I got done sharing the idea, the leader looked at me as if I had, you know, spoken some crazy uh, idea. And he responded as though I was testing him like, oh, Brad wants to see how committed I am to missional communities. And he, and he said, but we can't study the Bible. Can we? Uh, we're not supposed to, right? Like, hmm. we're not supposed to do a Bible study. And so in that moment, I just thought, man, we've been so misunderstood. And I think it's it's probably because we've uttered these two statements a lot. I, I know I've said them a lot and they pack a punch on Twitter, but it's just not the whole truth. Uh, two things we say is uh, we aren't a Bible study, we're a Bible doing. And so people think, oh, well, we're not allowed to read the Bible. Or we say a missional community isn't a Bible study. And so then people think, now we, we can't study the Bible at all. But the reality is, is that missional communities have to be Bible studies that lead to Bible doing. Our thoughts about the power and the authority of the Spirit breathe scriptures into existence means that we are compelled to read the scriptures. And it also means that we don't just study the Bible just to know more stuff, but we study the scriptures to to be transformed. Uh, We think that God is actually going to speak to us and transform our hearts through this, uh, that the Spirit of God will actually lead us to live and lead different lives than we have before. And so... Uh, when a missional community leader says that that she wants to lead her disciples into to understanding the Bible and, and doing the Bible, she gets to say, we're not just here to, to learn stuff and read stuff, but we're here to to live the word, not just be hearers of the word, but, but doers of the word. But an important part of that passage, James 1.22, is that you have to hear mm. the scriptures. And so you can't make disciples of Jesus without teaching disciples with the Bible. Uh, You can't thrive as a disciple-making environment if you don't have the scriptures as part of it. And just to, because I, sometimes I hear people say, well, they didn't have the Bible in the New Testament. So why do we need the Bible now? If they were like a really good versions of the church in the book of Acts, but they didn't have the Bible, why do we need to study the Bible? Which is kind of a funny argument. I heard that a lot in Portland, but throughout the New Testament, even before the, the New Testament had been written or at least compiled as we have it today, 
Jesus and his disciples and the early churches that they planted relied heavily on the Old Testament to make disciples, to form churches, to refute false doctrine, to clarify the gospel. They were relying a ton on the Old Testament. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were so thoroughly immersed in the scriptures of, of their being important that their huge sections are actually quoted even just from memory, it seems, to make points uh, throughout the New Testament. And so uh, if the very first disciples relied relied on the scriptures uh, so heavily in their teaching and their speaking, why do we think we don't need to? As uh, kind of a, a big rhetorical question. And I would just sort of add to this myth-busting is that if you are committed to following Jesus and living all of life under his authority, you will have to regularly learn from the Bible. In fact, if you lack the urgency to turn to the scriptures as a primary uh, way of understanding what you need to do, how you need to be encouraged, where the truth is, if you don't have that urgency to turn to the scriptures, uh, just in time of of need or hope or just trying to understand uh, what God has called you to, then you probably aren't living on mission or living in community. The living on mission, living on community is actually what drives us to even open our Bibles on a more regular, regular basis. So that's myth number one, that you can't study the Bible in your community. You actually do study the Bible and it's good to do that. Amen. Jared, what's myth number two? Amen. Myth number two. I thought we should have some music. Yeah, so myth number two is that family is automatic. Hmm. This is the myth that once you plug into an MC, that everyone is going to love me and I'm going to love them really well. Mm -hmm. And that sounds great, right? But it's just not most people's experience. Um, From my experience, most of the people in our missional communities, like, we just struggle to even relate well to one another. Hmm. because of past relational wounds, because of an addiction to our phone, right? Like, especially for us millennials, like we struggle with just like day-to-day social skills. You'll have people in your mission community, for example, I mean, this happened in mine just recently, where like you have someone send a text like an hour before the MC meal, whenever they're down to bring <laughs> a main dish. I'm like, hey, not going to make it. We'll miss y'all. You know, and I'm like, you know, like, like we wouldn't do that with our I hope with our own biological families, right? Like if you had like your own like standing like meal with your mom and dad, mm-hmm. and yet like that kind of stuff seems to happen pretty regularly, like within missional communities. And that's not a dig. Like I'm not trying to like slam the person that did that. I'm just stating reality. You know what I'm saying? And so like, yeah, building a a healthy community where you live like a healthy family. Like that's going to take time. Mm-hmm. And so I think I actually did a, wrote an article on this on the Saturate blog. But, you know, when you think about community, you really kind of go through these three phases. And so the first one, we call it happy heal, where, you know, it's like you first step into a missional community and you're like, oh, like you're an engineer. That's awesome. You know, like you're a marine <laughs> biologist or you're Brad Watson and you're a author or you're a surfer now or whatever, you know, and you're like, that's so cool. You know, like you like the Cardinals. I like the St. Louis Cardinals. Like you're awesome. I'm awesome. Let's be awesome together, you know? And that, that, that's a really sweet time, but it's pretty superficial, you know? So because eventually you leave Happy Hill and you get down to the Crappy Valley. And that's whenever the honeymoon stage mm-hmm. is over, right? And I use the honeymoon stage because mm-hmm. I mean, for those who are married, you know what I'm talking about, right? So like this is where people's sin and brokenness get exposed and it's kind of ugly and, 
Sometimes you hurt others. Sometimes they hurt you. And this is, you know, people need to hear this because a lot of times in crappy valleys where you just turn back and say, uh-uh, no, I'm done. Like this community is so jacked up. I'm just going to go find another mission community that's not jacked up. And that's like saying, like, I'm going to go marry someone who isn't a sinner. You're not going to find that. Like there is no community that is not broken. And so if we will not push eject mm-hmm. on community in crappy valley, if we'll continue to press forward, right, and, and learn how to be authentic and open and forgiving and trusting mm. and we'll learn some like conflict management that Jesus teaches this like the Sermon on the Mount and other places like eventually you get to a place that we call Family Mountain which is still hard and still messy but it's beautiful mm. and you know like really we'll, like, we'll go through these stages more than once right it's not like once you go through Crappy Valley once you're done like you know, <laughs> you know we'll, we'll go through it more than once but oh, man yeah. it's in it's through these phases that you stay with it you trust Jesus and you Learn to like practice the ways of Jesus together that Jesus does some of his best work in us. So that's the the second myth. Family is automatic. So Brad, what's myth number three? Myth number three is worship gatherings are a necessary evil. Mm. Yeah, sometimes uh, we might even just say, I guess we have to have missional or worship gatherings, uh, but we don't want to. We regularly teach people all the time that they themselves are the church. And we try to clarify for people often that, that the church is not an event and it's not a time slot and it's not a building. And we try to tell people that the church is actually God's people sent into God's world as his servants and ambassadors for his kingdom. And all of that is completely true, especially in America. Our culture has been so warped into thinking that church is just something you do on Sunday and you're like, can't wait to do church tomorrow on a Saturday night. And yeah, I still, uh, even bringing up this myth, it it drives me nuts when I see churches tweet that sort of Mm -hmm. stuff out on Saturday, like couldn't do church without the sound guys. It's like there are people all over the world that are (laughs) the church without sound guys, um, all throughout history. Anyway, we're still in the midst of needing to correct a lot of that thinking, especially in an event and consumer driven church culture. Uh, But people take this truth that we are the church, we don't go to church, and they misunderstand that then events and time slots and buildings are not part of being the church. That, oh, if the church isn't a building, then we can't be in a building. If the church isn't a time slot, then no time slot is good. Mm -hmm. But actually, gatherings are events of the church where we worship God, we put ourselves under the scriptures teaching where we share in communion, where we share our finances, uh, where we learn to see that like God loves us. That's not optional and it's not a curse to avoid. Uh, Worship gatherings are actually wonderful, at least for us within missional community churches, are just a wonderful moment of gathering the people in these communities and even some of their friends and the people they're on mission to all across the city, we gather them together to share in this event that actually leads us to, to remembering the gospel, you know, Monday through Sunday. It's not just a one-off event. Uh, But I've heard, yeah, many people over the years kind of reason that, that this is a a necessary evil. Um, They say things like if we're the church, why do we need to get together and hear a sermon? Can I just download a podcast? Uh, if we're the church, why do I have to sing with other people? Isn't there more stuff that goes on to being the church? Or um, if real discipleship is life on life, 
and life on mission, how does a gathering fit? Here's the kicker, at least in my experience, that if you're serious about a scattered missional church, you're going to have to be very serious about gathering your scattered Mm -hmm. church on a regular basis in one place, and that it's okay to have lots of people Mm -hmm. there. It's not a punishment or a curse. It's actually a gift from God that every Sunday, and we remember that the tomb was empty, that Jesus' death and his victory over death and the empty tomb changes everything. And uh, we forget that. Uh, It takes us 20 minutes to forget that. And so gatherings uh, reorient our worship. And so at gatherings, we're challenged and invited to worship the God of scriptures, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit. Um, We confess our sins. We communally share and encourage one another in who God is as we sing together, as we sing these prayers, these truths. Often we sing scriptures to one another. And it's a liturgy of just teaching us how it is we interact and walk with God and remind ourselves of of the, the truth about Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. And it's all through the whole framework. And so that's why I would say it's something we have to do very seriously. It's not just, let's pick two fast songs, two medium songs, and a slow song. Let's get somebody up there who can talk entertainingly for 20 minutes. It actually requires a ton of thoughtfulness and intentionality of how can we shape this unifying moment together where we not only see God work in these hour, hour and a half, two hour meetings uh, with all of this church together, but also how is that a catalyst for God's mission in the city that we live in? And so I've come to, to believe deeply that they're not a necessary evil, they're a beautiful gift, uh, maybe a a necessary blessing that we get to be the church gathered in one place to see one another, to reinforce our common language, our symbols, our story, our theology. It's a huge thing. And just to add, because I'm on my own uh, soapbox here, busting myths, but uh, the gatherings commission us into mission together. And over the years, I've noticed that the missional communities or the missional community leaders who don't prioritize the worship gathering and then their communities don't prioritize it either, those are the ones that aren't actually on mission. But the ones where the people are weekly saying, no, we, we've got to come here and be reminded of this truth. We need to soak it up. We need to be equipped. And they do that regularly. They're the ones that are on mission. It's a crazy dichotomy. We often think, oh, no, it's just like the real missional people are probably not there on Sundays, but it's actually the opposite. It's because gatherings are commissioned services. They're weekly commissioning services for our church to live a life in community and on mission. So that's that's myth number three. Man, you are you're bringing it today, brother. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, good. I'm fired up. You are fired up. I love it. So myth number four is the myth that people believe, like, I can't get involved in a missional community without getting excited about that MC-specific mission. So this is the myth where people hmm. believe the lie that if I'm not really passionate about, say, you know, making disciples of refugees or reaching out to people in that specific neighborhood, well, then I can't step into a missional community yet. And, you know, this is one that we've heard um, over the last five, six years that we've been doing this. And to these folks, we usually just kind of ask the question, we'll be like, hey, 
you know, you may not be excited about that specific mission focus, but are you excited about making disciples? And if the answer to that question is yes, then we remind them that like, hey, that's all we're doing. It's just that like, you know, if we say we're going to make disciples of Paragold, Arkansas, or especially a place like Los Angeles, well, that's too big for us to put our arms around. So we need to get a specific focus mm-hmm. somewhere. So we're like, hey, are you excited about making disciples? They say yes. And we're like, cool, then come and join us. Like come and do what it is mm-hmm. um, that we're doing until you either find uh, another specific mission you're passionate about or you end up leading your own missional community. And if the answer to that question is no, then obviously that's a totally different conversation. But um, we certainly want people to, to realize that when it comes to the specific mission, like, you know, like, don't miss the forest because of the trees, if that makes any sense. Like Jesus mm-hmm. has given us marching orders. Right? He's commanded us to go and make disciples. And so whatever that specific mission focus is, like the end go is to be obedient to King Jesus, to join him in his mission of mm-hmm. restoring his creation through making disciples who make disciples. So that's how we mm-hmm. approach myth number four. So Brad, I'm going to tag you back in because dude, you're just, you're on it right now, man. So just take us right <laughs> into myth number five. All right. Myth number five is that multiplying communities equals success. Uh, and this one's a little mischievous of a myth because it is one mark of success is that our communities multiply, healthy things grow and multiply but oftentimes it becomes like the only sort of metric. It's sort of replaces uh, sort of an, an event driven churches. They might have a metric of, well, how many people were there and how many people gave and that sort of thing. And sometimes within the missional community churches, we shift it to be like, well, then how many communities have we multiplied? That becomes the new bar. Um, and I'll just say, just to kind of be brief about it is, I've experienced as a leader times where we saw lots and lots of multiplications, saw disciples getting made. We were able to pour into people and sent them out. And it was really awesome and wonderful. But when that became the standard of success was, well, how many communities came out of you? We saw lots of leaders be just super disheartened. Um, Like I remember talking to a couple who said, man, all we've done this year is just figure out how to love one another. And we cared for a few families in our neighborhood and, and a, c- a couple ladies who single teenage moms. All we've done has been changed by the gospel, but we aren't even close to multiplying. So we, we just don't know what we're doing. Like that was a real thing that this, this couple, and it wasn't false humility. They were genuinely saying like, we just don't really understand how to do this yet because all we've done is like, been changed by the gospel. And they thought that their community was a failure because over the course of 12 months, they didn't see a new community birthed. The mark of, of success and, and the mission being worked out is found in, in the spiritual fruit in our lives. And I think even for that particular community, they were like doing mission in such a hard Portland neighborhood that to have expected them to over 12 months reach and then equip new leaders to start a new community on a new mission was just really unrealistic for them. And anything short of that being a failure would just be a false premise for them to live by. Then the other thing is this, is that I've often seen people go from, you know, one missional community to 20 but the, the reality is you can multiply communities organizationally without multiplying and maturing disciples. 
you can have a real effective way of organizing Christians and getting them plugged in to small groups that have a mission. But that's also not the same thing of of doing the work of multiplying disciples because uh, to multiply disciples, you have to do several things that require just long work, like the long work of loving a group of people for years, long work of teaching people the truth about God applied to different aspects of their life that get connected to their obedience that, that gets lived out over multiple years is what it takes to multiply disciples or to step into and own the suffering of a neighborhood, not just for a once a month event, but to actually just embody incarnationally the suffering of a neighborhood and seek to be a blessing, to weep with the broken, to celebrate with the redeemed. All of that is just, I don't know, wonderful things worth celebrating. And that leads to the multiplying of disciples, but it's not just about getting, you know, eight people together to want to hang out once a week. Uh, we could do that and we could call it success, but um, the real like fruit of a life of obedience is really lived out in a long haul um, where you have people day after day just deciding to choose the hope of the gospel over the false hopes of our society where people choose to be faithful and obedient in their the place that God's put them. And uh, that isn't sexy, but it's definitely beautiful. It's definitely worth pursuing. Hopefully that last one can be an encouragement for you. Maybe you felt beat up so far as we've walked through this, these myths, but maybe that can just be an encouragement to you. Maybe, maybe you've been together for 16 months, 18 months, and there's no multiplication in sight. And you're like, oh, well, we must be terrible and we don't understand it. But I just encourage you to, to kind of look around and say, man, have we been transformed by the gospel? Okay, well, then what, what's God calling us to do next? And if you can continually step into whatever Jesus says to do next, then you're doing what you're called to do. Well said, man. Yeah. So that's myth number five. Those are the top five myths. Wow. I feel better. Good. I'm glad you feel better. I feel better, you know, getting that stuff off my chest. I think it's uh, it's really important. And uh, part of leadership is bringing clarity, right? And just letting people know, know the truth. I'm really curious, listeners, if you guys have interacted with uh, other false uh, myths or, or maybe there's things that you're believing. You're like, well, maybe that's not true at all. Sometimes uh, we really need to do that. Uh, you can connect with us on email. It's hello at saturatetheworld.com. You can connect with Jared and I on social media as well. As always, thanks for listening. If you enjoy it, share with other people. Jared, thanks for being on the podcast yet again. I love these chats. Always good to be with you, man. Everybody, thanks for learning alongside us. And uh, we'll see each other again soon. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by curating resources, training, coaching, consulting, and many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.